couple of years ago, my, my dad took a trip with his dad up to Saskatchewan, Canada, which is where my grandpa is from. Uh, and if you've never been there, it's the part of Canada everybody forgets about. It's north of North Dakota and Montana. Uh, bitter cold, but there's fertile soil up there. And the, the story is my grandfather's grandfather, his name was Wassel Anachuk. Uh, he and his wife Anna fled from the Ukraine around 1900 or so uh, when things were under the czars then. They fled from the czars through Germany, across the Atlantic, and then and the Canadian government gave them a shovel and a bag of potatoes and said, if you can make the land work, the land is yours. And so they gave them a train ride out there, and uh, that was the last that the East Coast ever saw of them. They settled there. Uh, the short version of the story is that they did make the land work, and the Lord gave them a few children as well. Uh, things took a much darker turn than that. A lot more went on than that, but they were able to make it work. One of their grandchildren was my grandfather, who was born right there in Saskatchewan, eventually moved down to Florida, where, uh, where I'm from as well. And my dad took this trip and basically took his, his own father up to see all of these lands and the homesteads and the fields that these people cultivated and just get a good feel together for their shared heritage, our shared history. I think a lot about that trip these days and just some of the fun memories. They went through one of the homesteads. They found the cast iron stove that Wassel and Anna heated their home with and cooked their food on and found all kinds of neat records and talked to all kinds of people that knew them or knew of them at least. And part of why I think about that these days is because, of course, what's going on in the Ukraine and knowing that I always thought my heritage was Scandinavian, but I was wrong. It was Ukrainian, and I learned that about six months before all this stuff went on over there. Uh, but that's not why I bring it up today. Uh, the reason I bring it up today was, was the reason my dad took that trip. Uh, the reason he took it was because his dad was getting to that age where he could tell this is my last chance. You know, if I wait another year to do this, he may not be able to walk, he may not know who I am, uh, he may not even be with us anymore. And he knew that he was about to enter into one of the hardest stages in life. And that is the stage where your parents, if they've been given good long life, near the end of it, and you have to start caring for them. Uh, that stage of life has so many impossible decisions. Those of you who've been through it know, right? Do, When's the right time to, to put them in a care facility? And if so, which one and, and how are we going to pay for it? Uh, what, what do I do when the nurse says that dad can't get out of bed because he's a fall risk, but dad keeps getting out of bed and I have to scold my own dad and tell him not to get out of bed? That doesn't feel right. How do, how do I handle that? How do I handle all these emotions that are going on in my heart as I try to figure out, uh, do I let the kids see him like this when he can't remember who they are and when his body is kind of turning into a shell of himself? At what point do we, what do we do about this here? And some of you will go through this not only with that difficulty upon you, but you'll be doing it in the middle of a family that is fighting. Sometimes this stuff brings out the worst in family feuds, and you're trying to not only decide what to do, but fight over what to do together. All the while, that haunting cloud is just getting closer and closer every day, and you know, I'm, I'm going to lose my parents when this is over with. That takes the wisdom of Solomon to figure out how to do it well. Who of us was born knowing how to handle that season of life well? None of us. But here's the good news this morning. The Lord desires to make you that wise. That's what he wants of his children. He calls us to him and he says, my son, my son, hear my wisdom. 
right? He is, he is more wise than anyone. He, he's wise enough to make everything. He is wisdom himself. But not only does he have all of the secrets, but he opens up his mouth and his hands to just share them to anyone who will come and will listen. And what he wants of us, what he wants of his children, his actual desire for us is to make us into people that are so wise that we know how to handle even difficult situations like that in life. And that's what I think we're coming up to today as we enter into Genesis 25. A right relationship with God, the kind of relationship that God made you to have with him, is one where, where you look at him and you see how great he is and your heart just gets this kind of trembling fear, feel of, of worship. Right? This is not being afraid of him. This is like when you see a great mountain or the Grand Canyon or the stars in the sky and your heart just says, oh, wow, and it shakes a little bit. To have that feeling in the uttermost toward God with your whole heart, that's called the fear of God. He wants you to live with that in your heart. And if you do, then you'll start to lean in and listen to his ways. Right? If, you, if you think he is that amazing and you trust him that much, you'll start to scour his word. You'll start to write down everything you learn in the sermons and you'll start to learn all you can from him. And then learning his wisdom, you'll start walking in his ways. That's the, that's the right relationship he wants us to be in. Reverent in worship toward him, listening to his ways, growing in wisdom and, and walking in it. And the very good news is that he's made it possible for us to come back to that. We can all look at our lives and say, I haven't feared God rightly. I haven't worshipped him with all of my life. I have not walked in his ways. I have not even listened to his ways. But what he has done, knowing this, is sent his son here to be with us, to live sinlessly, to die in our place, and rise from the dead. And that son, wisdom himself, Jesus Christ is his name, says anyone who comes to follow me will be reconciled to God, brought back into that right God-fearing relationship with him, that relationship of worship, of happiness, of joy in him, and of learning his wisdom. And so my first call to everyone here is trust upon this Savior. Come to him, come to Jesus, and find yourself reconciled to God in that right relationship with him. And for those of us that are there, he says to us, all right, my children, here, here is some wisdom. Here is wisdom for one of life's most difficult situations. We look to him in Genesis 25 for that. What we will see is that Abraham, whose life we have followed for a long time, uh, finally reaches the end of his life. As he does, there is a genealogy told on either side of the story of his death, and many of God's promises are fulfilled along the way. We'll look at those fulfilled promises and the example that Isaac and Ishmael give as they bury him. Let's read chapter 25, verses 1 through 18 together. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua, and Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Shurim and Latushim and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephaph, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Eldiah. All these were children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward toward the east country. 
These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, in the field that Abraham had purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Be'er Lehi These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbiel, Mibsham, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Naphish, and Kidima. These are the sons of Ishmael, are their names, by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes, according to their tribes. The years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite of Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over and against all his kinsmen. The words of the Lord. So through those two genealogies and the short telling of Abraham's death, uh, what we have is the keeping of many of God's promises and then a quick example of honoring mother and father as they are dying, to which we look to our Lord this morning and say, Lord, would you help us as some of us go through that difficult journey as our parents near the end of long lives? The breakdown here is really simple. One genealogy, then the telling of Abraham's death, and then another genealogy. The two genealogies tell the story of Abraham's other sons and what becomes of their descendants, the, not the son that had with Sarah, not Isaac, but the other sons, where we find God keeping many of his promises. Uh, it's important to remember as we look at that, that may seem insignificant to us, but to the original audience, to the nation of Israel, they would look at this identifying with Isaac and seeing Abraham as a father. They considered themselves the chosen people of God. They were the chosen people of God. As Isaac was that chosen offspring of Abraham, so they were in their day. So they saw their identity wrapped up in Isaac, looking to Abraham as a father, and looking to those other nations as people who are near us, but different nations. So when they see God keep his promises to Abraham, they're thinking, God kept his promises to our fathers and even to my mother and father. When they see God keep his promises to Isaac, they're thinking God will keep his promises to us. And when they see God keep his promises to Keturah's sons and to Ishmael, they're thinking, well, if God kept his promises to them, how much more will he keep his promises to us? Finally, when they see Isaac and Ishmael reunite to bury Abraham, they see an example of the fifth commandment, honor your mother and your father, lived out in front of them. 
And so what we have as we look at it is just three principles of wisdom that can guide us when we go through the difficult phase where our parents' lives are fading and we are caring for them. If you are going through that now, I pray it blesses you. If you go through it soon, I pray you can recall it. If you have gone through it, I hope it helps you to make sense of the many difficult things that were happening then. So here's, here's number one. Here's the first principle. Uh, I've hinted at it already. God has kept his promises to your parents, which means he will keep them to you as well. We see this in the great number of promises that are kept in just those few verses. I count seven promises that are kept just in those two genealogies and that short story there. Let me walk you through them. Uh, The first one In verses 1 through 4, we learned uh, something that surprised me every time that I read through Genesis on my own. Every time I got to it, I thought, oh, I forgot about that. Abraham had yet another wife. Uh, Besides Sarah and Hagar, there was this woman, Keturah. We aren't sure when she became his wife. It's very likely that there was some overlap with Sarah and that he engaged in polygamy yet again. Usually, when heroes in the Bible or villains in the Bible engage in polygamy, it's a cautionary tale. It never goes well, right? Everything just blows up in their face when they try it. This is a little different because it doesn't tell the stories surrounding it. We don't get to see all the drama it caused and all the difficulty it put in their lives. We just have a record of the children that came from it. And what we see is they become a multitude of nations. These, uh, these descendants from Midian and uh, Sheba and a few other places were nations that Israel had dealings with. It, people that they knew about. The Queen of Sheba came and visited them. Moses' wife was from Midian. They knew who these people were. And they said, well, look at all of these nations that came from our father Abraham. This is in keeping with a promise that is given to Abraham in chapter 17, verses 4 to 6. I will make you a multitude of nations. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham saying you won't just be a father, you'll be a father of many nations. This is coming true as Abraham becomes the father, not just of the people of Israel, but other nations. So there's one promise. In verses five to six, we see Abraham is generous to all of his sons, but he squarely names Isaac as his heir. He gives all he has at the end of it to Isaac and gives gifts to the others. This fulfills a promise that was made in chapter 21, verse 2. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So God promises him, Isaac will be your heir. And here we find it coming true. Isaac really becomes the heir. In verses 7 through 8, Abraham breathes his last. And his long life is emphasized. It says first in verse 7, 175 years And then it gets a little repetitive in verse 8. He breathed his last and he died at a good old age, an old man, full of years. So you see that emphasis. The author wants you to notice Abraham died at a very old age. That is in keeping with a promise in chapter 15, verse 15. You will be buried in a good old age. Those words coming true, even the same phrase, a good old age used here. 
In verses 9 and 10, he is buried in the cave in Machpelah. This is the land that he bought just two chapters ago in chapter 23, where God began to keep the promise of giving him land in the promised land. So not, Abraham not only has land in Canaan, he is buried in land in Canaan. And so the Lord is keeping his promise to give to him and his descendants some of that land. In verse 11, the Lord blessed Isaac, which is in keeping with the general promise over his life that he is the chosen, the special one, the blessed one. In verses 12 through 18, Ishmael has a lot of sons. You can count them, but fortunately, the later verse, I think it's verse 16, tells us that there are 12 of these sons, and particularly 12 princes. All 12 of these sons become 12 princes. That is in keeping with a promise in chapter 17, verse 20, to Abraham, your son Ishmael shall father 12 princes. He was promised 12 princes, and he did indeed father 12 princes. And finally, in verse 18, we read that Ishmael and his sons settled over against his kinsmen. That means that they quarreled a lot with their family around them and the other nations around them, and often they won if they settled over and against them. That keeps a promise given to Hagar in chapter 16, verse 2, that Ishmael will settle over against his kinsmen, those same words. So seven promises just packed into those verses, all surrounding the death of Abraham. What's the, what's the point there? Why is the author doing that? Well, to show us that even as Abraham dies, God keeps his promises to him. That means something for Isaac and Ishmael as they bury their father. It means something for us when our parents get to the end of their lives as well. God has kept his promises to them. And the ones that remain, God will keep his promises to them. That truth is more pointed if your parents are believers because they have access to more promises if their faith is in those promises. But it's true even if your parents are not believers. Let me just walk through what it might look like in, in a few different scenarios. A few of us get the luxury of not only having believing parents, but parents who are able at the last days of their lives to say last words to us and to tell the stories of God's faithfulness even as they are dying. Now, many of us, our parents are not in that kind of state when they're toward the end, but a few of us get to sit there and hear those last words from a faith-filled mother or father. And what you'll hear along the way in those kind of situations is, the Lord never left me. Right? Stories a little bit like the one that Jerry told earlier this morning. There are times when we were hard up and we didn't know what was going to happen, but God always took care of us. He never left us. Or I can think of one case I know of a, a woman who outlived her husband by about 30 years and was able to say toward the very end, this was really hard, but even when my husband died, the Lord never left me. Saying that after 30 years, that's got some weight to it, doesn't it? Many of us, we can, we can sit there and we can hear the stories of how God blessed them, the stories of their faithfulness. And so some of the wisdom we can gain here then is go, go to them and ask for those stories. To, to, they probably think that you don't want to hear the stories and that's probably why they're not telling you them as much. Go there and ask for them, hear of how good God has been to them and let your own faith be strengthened as you let go of them because you can see that if God kept his promises to them, well, 
he will keep his promises to you as well. Sometimes we don't get those last words from them. Sometimes they're in a place that's too far gone or they go suddenly and often it just doesn't work like that. But many of our parents are believers and we can look back on the course of their life and see how God's promises came true in their lives. Some of you were alive when your parents came to Christ and you remember when your parents came to Christ. You can remember what they were like and what they are like now and the difference between the two. And some of you really can, toward the end of your parents' life, look back and say, yeah, mom did change when she came to Christ. He really does change people. Yeah, dad is a different man than he was before he came to Christ. You can look back and see God kept that promise to change those who trust in him. And if he did that for him, well, he'll do that for me too. If he kept his promises to him, he'll keep his promises to me. It can give you confidence also to trust God to keep his remaining promises to them. It can be hard to watch your parents' bodies fade toward the end. But the promise for believers is everlasting life in a perfected and glorious body forever in the kingdom. That's hard to see when your dad or your mom's body is just a shell of what it once was, right? It's difficult to see that in their eyes. But if you look back and you can say, well, God changed him then. Now I know God will change him again, right? God was faithful to him then, I know God will be faithful to him tomorrow. I know when Jesus says he will return and raise my dad from the dead, he will raise my dad from the dead. You can strengthen your faith in those promises by looking at the way God kept his promises to your parents. So that is true for those of us whose parents are believers, most pointedly. Uh, but for many of us, our parents are, are not believers. Uh, my, my grandfather, who my dad took on that trip, was not a believer. But we can still trace many promises that God kept in his life. And you can do the same as well. Oftentimes, it's principles taught in the word of God that you can see come true in your parents' lives, even if they were not believers. Uh, those of you born in the 20 years after World War II, uh, your parents were that hardworking, diligent generation that built up so much of the wealth that we have in this country, the generation that largely won World War II for us. And you can look back at your parents, probably, and see proverbs like, the hand of the diligent will rule, you know, diligent work rewards you. Uh, you can see the Proverbs about hard work and storing up and all the difficulty in life. You keep working hard and you can often make it doing that. You can see those Proverbs coming true in the lives of many in that generation. You can look back and say, it was hard, but boy, my dad worked hard and we were always taken care of. All right, that's a picture. God's word really does work. The world really works the way that the Proverbs say that they work, and diligence really does pay off. Faithfulness in marriage really does pay off. So even if our parents aren't believers, we can look back and see the truths of Scripture coming true in their life and say, you know what? I can trust this book. I can put my faith in God's words, and I can walk according to them. A few of us, tragically, had parents who were especially wicked, did awful things maybe to us or to others. 
And there are even words in the Bible that we could say that would apply to them that were good and were true. You think of Jesus' words, the sun rises on the just and the unjust, right? And, and the rain waters the crops of the good and the evil, right? And maybe there are one, two, three, four of us in this room who could say that was true about our parents. Maybe there are a few of us who would say, my dad was a wicked man, but God took care of him anyway. God, God sent the sun to rise on the just and on the unjust. God is that good. And if we can see his goodness in their lives, we can trust his goodness in our lives. That means our God is worthy of trusting when life gets dark, when life gets difficult. That realization can even prepare you for the dark days that often come after your parents die and they're gone and you're just mourning and weeping for them. And oftentimes doubt toward the Lord sets in in that period. But if you've looked back and you've seen that God was faithful to them, well, then you've got maybe a little more steadfastness to stay the course, even in doubts after they go. So that's the, that's the first point this morning. If God kept his promises to them, even those that were unbelievers, how much more will he keep his promises to us? Let that strengthen your faith in one of life's hardest seasons. Second principle is this. Long life is a gift from God. Some of your parents have lived to many years or will live to many years. God doesn't always give that gift, but when he does, it's a generous and undeserved gift. I pointed this out already, but let's look at it again in verses seven and eight. We read of Abraham's long life. And this author wants you to notice that Abraham lived a long life, right? First, 175 years. You're going to notice that number when somebody lives that long. But then after that, just in case we missed it, he breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, repeated three times in different ways like that so that we do not miss Abraham lived a very long time. Now, part of this is that God had promised him he would go to his fathers in a good old age. Another part of it is a general teaching that the scripture gives, which is that when his people walk in his ways, very often he gives them good life, good long life and favor in return. Not always, but very often. Uh, that's a teaching we see first in Genesis chapter five, where the lines of Cain and Seth begin to split off Cain's descendants are especially wicked people, and we don't read anything of them living a very long time. But Seth's descendants are a holy and righteous people. One of them even walks with God, Enoch, and they live, you know, 854 years, 969 years, these incredibly long ages. But those numbers are only recorded for the righteous line, not for, not for the wicked line. And we're like, hmm, what's going on there? Then Abraham gets promised long life, and he gets it. Few other heroes, the same thing happens to them. And then the law is given to Israel, and he says to them, If you will keep my statutes and my commands, I will prolong your days in the land, meaning I'll give you long life as individuals if you follow my ways. He tells them in the fifth commandment, if you honor your mother and father, your days will be long in the land that is coming to you. So there's even a promise there. If you live in righteousness and you're one of God's people, long life is one of the good blessings given in the old covenant. In the new covenant, things are a bit different. 
we were promised temporal blessing in the old covenant. Follow his ways and you get prosperity in this life, long life in this life, but eventually you would still die. In the new covenant, we are promised trust in Jesus Christ, stick with him to the end, he'll make you new, you will walk in his ways, and then you get not temporal blessing, but eternal life, right? Life forever in the coming kingdom, flourishing and, and, and uh, prosperity forever in the coming kingdom. The good things come later. But the Lord still has a heart that longs to bless his people with good life, especially when they walk in his ways. And so we even read in Ephesians 6, the fifth commandment repeated again, honor your mother and father, and that's the first commandment with a promise that your life may be long in the land. So even for us, there is still this sense in which very good odds that if we walk in his ways, he will give to us lengthening of our days as he did for Hezekiah and for so many others who walked faithfully. It's not a formula these days. You can't just, you know, see how old you are and measure how righteous you are by how old you made it. Someone who tragically died young, it doesn't mean that they weren't righteous, but very often God's heart is to bless us with an open hand, even with long life when we walk in his ways. Some of you can look at your parents and say, yep, that's what happened. Some of our parents lived into their 80s, 90s, maybe even made it over 100. And we can look back at their life and say, yeah, they lived a humble, godly, patient life. And God kept them around for a long time. If that's you, that's not everybody, but if that's you, part of grieving them, part of caring for them before they die It's just thanking God for a long life. Who gave them that many years? The Lord did. And so part of doing that phase well is just looking back and saying, God, thank you for giving her so many years. Thank you for giving my dad so many years. Some of you guys, I have called you the day or the week after one of your parents died. And uh, all you could say is, Man, she just lived so long. She had such a good, long life. So many of you say that as your parents go on. And and I commend you for that. That is exactly the heart to have, to look to God and say, God, thank you for all of the years that you gave them. Emily's grandmother, uh, we we called her Ma, uh, she lived to be 92 years old. One of my favorite home movies, a home movie that we cherish the most, is her 91st birthday, a year and about a month before, before she died. Uh, she was in a bed at that point. She'd had a stroke, wasn't getting out of her bed, and so they were bringing things to her, and so everyone had gathered around her. We couldn't be there because I think we were up in Massachusetts at the time, and they brought this cake out to her, and she had all of her mind still, just her body wasn't cooperating, and they sit this cake in front of her with all these candles by which they are trying to communicate how old she has turned on this day, and there she is examining this cake, and now she had all of her mind with her, but when you get that many in years, you really can't forget how old you are just because it's just been a long time. It's a big number. And she's staring at this cake going, okay, nine, and trying to figure out how old she is because God had given her so many years that she couldn't count how old she was. What a blessing. And he gave her even another year after that. It's God that gives that. It's God that gives that gift. A lot of you guys know Ray Mize. Ray died, I think, last November or October after 98 years. Can you believe it? Man. And we think, we're not sure about this, but we think that he was still gardening last summer 
at 97 years old, still going out there and planting those peppers and tomatoes, still crouching down, getting his hands dirty, washing his hands off when he came back in for 97 years. Who gives that? The Lord gives that. And so when our fathers like Ray pass on or when Emily and I's grandmother, Ma, passes on or when your parents pass on at a good old age, it's fitting and right to look to God and say, God, thank you. That'll settle your heart in those hard days. So that's the second principle we get this morning. Those first two really just help to settle your heart and make sure you're handling things in your heart rightly. Uh, But there's still the big question, right? What do I do? All these tough decisions. I don't know how to handle all this. Eventually, I'm going to have to get up and actually do something here, even if I finally got my heart in the right place about it. And so our last principle just gives guidance to help with that. And it's, it's this. Honor your father and mother, even if you have to put aside differences with your siblings to do so. In those last days, honor them, even if you've got to put aside differences with your siblings to do so. We see this in the example that Isaac and Ishmael give to us as they reunite to bury their father. The backstory is important here. Isaac and Ishmael do not get along. The last time we saw them together, Isaac was about three years old. Ishmael was probably a young teenager or middle school age or something like that. And Ishmael mocked Isaac so terribly that he got himself kicked out of the family and disinherited for it. It did not go well. Anytime they get together, there seems to be this clash. And we have this prophecy that forever, Isaac and Ishmael's descendants will be against each other, right? Ishmael will settle over and against his kinsmen, constantly taunting them, constantly raiding them, constantly causing problems. So at this point, probably 40 or more at this point, they, you know, they're well into adulthood. They have had plenty of chances to clash and to fight. This is a feuding brotherhood, brothers who do not get along. Then their father dies. They come together. They bury their father. And they do it according to Abraham's wishes with Isaac's mother and not with Ishmael's mother. Ishmael just has to kind of swallow his pride and say, okay, we'll go bury him where he wanted, with your mom. That can give to many of you who need it a really powerful example of how to conduct yourself in those hard times. Because it's one thing to have to care for aging parents It's another thing to do it while your cousin is taunting you and making it as difficult as you can. It's it's one thing to plan out a funeral. It's another thing when your brother wants the funeral to go exactly the opposite that you do and then quarreling and fighting breaks out. Does God give us any wisdom when he gets hard like that? Yeah, the priority is honor mother and father, even if you got to put aside your differences for a little while to do so, just like Isaac and Ishmael had to do. That's really a pointed example of the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Some of you don't have to worry about the the family feuding during some of these things, but that general principle given in the 10 commandments there can help you with all of those decisions. When you're trying to pick a care facility, what's at the root of that and why are you working so hard to get that right? Honor your father and mother, that's right. You want to see them honored. When you're 
planning out the funeral and you're wanting to get everything just right and you want it just like this and oh, this is their favorite song, so we're going to put it there. Why are you putting so much energy into that? Because honor your father and mother. You want to see them honored. Remembering that principle and putting it at the base of all that you do in those years can help you to make many of those difficult decisions. It also helps to know the distinction between obedience and honor as well. When the Lord puts you under someone's authority, a king or a boss or whatever, a parent, uh, there are two things that we owe to them, obedience on one hand and honor on the other. One is doing the things they ask you to do, and the other one is sending those cultural signals that say, you're someone I look up to, you're a great person, I will, I will honor you. So a father might give a son instructions, and the son might say, Okay, sure. Right, stomp and huff and walk away and go to do as his dad said. And the father may say, no, 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 come back. You're obeying me, but you're, but you're not honoring me. Right? There's a difference between the two, between honor and obedience. The teaching of the Bible when it comes to our parents is that when we are children, we need to honor them and obey them. Children should obey their parents. Eventually, you become an adult. You leave your father and mother, often united with a wife or a husband, right? And you start your own family. Now, you're no longer in their house, so you don't have to obey them anymore. You're doing your own thing. You're living your own life. They might give you advice, and you might not take it, but you still owe them honor in those years. Right? You honor, honor your mother and father for, the, for your whole life, for their whole life. Now, if we can see that distinction, that can help us in those later years when you wind up having to be the one to tell them what to do. That's tough, isn't it? No, mom, you can't drive anymore, right? That's not easy. That's not easy for the one who used to discipline you. Uh, no, dad, you can't get out of bed. The nurse said you can't get out of bed. That feels wrong to say that to the man that raised you, that you revere, right? And what's the key to making it through that difficult situation without just too much stretch, just to make it through at all? Well, honor is the key. Now the tables have turned a little bit. Now you're the one guiding them as, as their body begins to fade, but you can still honor them. Those nurses can still come in and out of the room and say, man, she must have been a great woman in her years, the way that her kids treat her. Right? Wow, he must have been a great father, the way that his kids treat him. You can treat them with enough honor and respect, even as you're the one calling the shots that everyone around knows this is a good man, this is a great man, this is a high and lifted up person. Just that alone can help you to get through many of those difficult decisions when you're the one who has to call the shots. The example of Isaac and Ishmael, though, comes in most handy when there's feuding in the family because a lot of times you just have to hit pause on the conflict and say, okay, we just got to get through this funeral for a week. I'll play nice. Will you play nice? Let's do this together. Let's honor mom and dad. What's the motive for doing that? The fifth commandment, honor your mother, honor your father. And so that, that principle can help us very much in really, I think, the hardest part of the whole thing if you're trying to do this and you're feuding at the same time. So there we are then, three principles that can help us in one of the hardest situations in life. Look back on how God kept their, his promises to them. Let that strengthen your faith. 
Remember that long life is a gift from God, and if God gives it to your parents, thank him for it. And remember to honor mother and father, even if that means putting aside differences with your siblings for a little while to do it well. You will need more than that, right? You will need to come back to the word of God every day to find more wisdom for life's hardest situations. You will need to ask God for wisdom every morning to gain the wisdom necessary to handle things like that. But the good news is God is very generous with his wisdom. He gives it to all who ask without finding fault. I find that good news because I'm tempted to say I don't know about you, but I do know about you. But at least in my case, I have really messed some things up in my life, right? I I have been faced with pivotal decisions and gone the wrong direction. I have played the fool, and I bet you have played the fool before as well. And so what good news it is that we can look up to a God who says, fools, come to me, I will make you wise, right? Young and simple and foolish, come to me, I will make you into sages. And we can look to him and say, God, will you give to us wisdom? That is part of the call to come and follow Jesus Christ. Yes, it is a call to die and to rise again. Yes, it is a call to faith in him. You must trust him to save you. It is a call to receive forgiveness at his hands. It's also a call to sit at his feet and learn his wisdom, learn his ways. And so my final call to you is this, come to this Jesus who makes fools into sages. Let's pray together.